If you want to feel hopeful about the future, just ask children what kind of world they would like to see. Imagine a future where there's no plastic in the ocean. What if cars could run on the energy from the plants? Their ideas are bold and fearless. Imagine if clothes had wings and could replace cars. What if the wind was made out of candy floss? Their imagination knows no bounds. Imagine if diamonds fall from the sky. What if there were giant flowers that could save the bees? What if golden apples could grow out of trees? I'm Natty Kasambala, and this is Super Futures What If, where I'll be tapping into that sense of wonder, exploring what it's like to dream bigger for what lies ahead. In this series, I'll be speaking with people who are tackling some of our greatest challenges in the kinds of ways that only children could have imagined. From the food we eat and the clothes we wear to dealing with ocean plastic, we'll be asking bold questions about the future and using the very best of our imaginations to answer them. Whatever you think we'll be wearing 10, 20, or even 100 years from now, we can't think about the future of fashion without acknowledging the vast impacts it has on the world today. If we want to create a better, fairer, and more sustainable future, we can't do it without looking in our wardrobes. For Amanda Navayan, founder of accessories brand Marici, Doing things better is built into the way she creates their luxury bags from the get-go. Circular design economy is our philosophy and it's what we follow. And it's very much about upcycling, waste upcycling, natural materials. So you want to conduct smart design, which means that you design out waste from the moment that the product is thought of. Now, it's fair to say, when I ask you to imagine a handbag, it's more likely than not going to be a leather one. But leather has long been a material with some big question marks around it. And with a lot of leather alternatives derived from plastic and fossil fuels, we can kind of feel stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to making more conscious decisions around what we buy. That's why the material that Marici uses for their bags is so exciting. Our bags are made from Pinatex. It's a British female a revolutionary innovation that turns discarded pineapple plants from existing industries and it upcycles it into a material as opposed to them getting burned. Which leads me to the big question I'm going to be asking this episode. What if we made bags out of pineapples? So I guess let's start at the beginning. Um, what was it like growing up in Sweden? And are there any ways that you would say it shaped the person that you are today? Uh, I think, you know, growing up in Sweden is very uh, idyllic. We were, you know, always just playing on the playgrounds in front of our house. We were actually not watched as children. And it was it, it was a really nice community. And I, I grew up in a place feeling 
very safe. And also from a sustainability point of view and, and much more what I'm into today, which is circular design economy, we were brought up with that uh, from very early on. Like I remember when we were from 10 to 12, we used to have these classes called household classes where they would teach you how to wash dishes and where they would teach you how to uh, wash clothes. And it was all to do things in the sustainable way, like put the plug in and fill it with water and not overuse water. They would teach us how to brush our teeth and by not having, you know, the, the, the water running. Also the whole focus of, on natural products, the focus on supporting local, eating local produce, uh, really respecting local brands. So I think later on when circular design economy had a name, I realized I was like, oh, that's kind of, you know, the Swedish way of being in a in a very natural way. And what was that? younger version of you dreaming of? Did you have any particular career aspirations or anything? It's very interesting. I mean, I think like every other, you know, little girl, I was kind of more dreaming about playing house, I think. (laughs) But uh, I had an entrepreneurial spirit. I, I was always selling like cookies to my family. And I remember that was very exciting to me, but I never, you know, I never knew what I wanted to work with. So It wasn't very clear to me. And then when I went to university here, I have to admit I wasn't the brightest as well. And I was kind of, you know, I wasn't that studious. And so when I graduated, I remember it was like, I was like, I want to find an internship here. It was super hard. And I was looking for work that wasn't happening. And luckily I got a job in, in Dubai with LVMH. And when I got that job, that's when everything changed and I became very, very passionate. Before we move on to talking about your first step into the fashion world, Mm. I wanted to ask if there were any important lessons that you learned from your time in both in London and also specifically studying international relations. You know, I was always interested in fashion, but I come from very traditional Iranian parents. And for them, they were like, what? <laughs> like, what? what is that even? Is that something to, to, to study? And they obviously wanted me to become a lawyer or an engineer. And I, so international relations was kind of like a middle ground we decided on. But for me, I loved international relations because I think it just gives you, you know, great knowledge on history, great knowledge on how the world is carved the way it is today, great knowledge on a lot of, you know, injustices. So this has always been close to my heart. And from the time I started to be in fashion, I always like to combine those two because obviously fashion is quite superficial, even though on a personal level, it makes us feel good. It makes people feel good about themselves. So how can we use fashion that people love and that's so mass and and through that, talk about, you know, more serious subject matters and, and try to help others. So I definitely think that my background in international relations has made me you know, really care and and, and want to be a part of, you know, changing things because obviously we, we, we were studying change for four years. And then moving on to that first step that you took into the world of fashion and working with LVMH, tell us a bit more about where that all kind of started for you. 
Yes, yeah, so I started working with uh, Shalhoub Group, which is an affiliate of LVMH in the Middle East. So uh, they distribute and launch uh, most LVMH brands into the region. And it was really exciting because I was working with them between 2004 till 2010. And there was not much in Dubai then. There was, I think, Mall of Emirates was just building up. Uh, Saks Fifth Avenue was opening. Harvey Nichols was opening. So it was clean slates. And we were kind of like, you know, rolling everything out. And I got to meet a lot of amazing people. And because I was the first person, as the company was getting bigger, I was moving up with that. And I was, you know, I was getting promoted. It was a great, great learning. It gave me this 360 view of what actually has to be done for a brand to be successful. The business that you launched into after working mm. with the LVMH company and before Marici was also in handbags and that's kind of the bridge between these two brands that you had experience with. Yes. What kind of inspired that leap for you? So what inspired that leap for me, I think, is very much a combination of what I studied, uh, which is very much about, you know, local empowerment, as well as my Swedish education, because every time something was made in Sweden as we were growing up, we, you know, that would be valued 10 times more and people would be very proud of it. And it's like, oh, made in Sweden and we must support. And and this is kind of the heart of a society, right? It's like moves economy, people. And then I remember over summers, I would kind of go back to Iran and there they would not like anything that was made in Iran. And it was, they, they loved imported things, you know, like European things and American things. And it was just all about imports. And they really did not value anything that was locally made, even though there was like so many talented artists. Like, you know, you had people that just sit and professionally knit or, or do like a lot of people there, they would make their own clothes in the sense of, Back then in Iran, you didn't have department stores. So most women would go and buy fabrics and then they'd go to the tailor and then the, the tailor would make the clothes for them. And you, you'd really see like all these people that were hugely talented, but it wasn't recognized as talent. And, and the seamstress was not really like a respected individual in society. And for me, that was always like very question, you know, I was like, why does it have to be this way? Where in fact, you know, Iran is filled with with culture and 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 arts and 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 people are very like creative. And at that time in Dubai, there there was no local movement. You didn't have local brands because Dubai was kind of the same way as as Iran, where people just wanted to buy these imported things. So I set out to start a brand and my my wish was to create a successful brand so that other people would feel that they can do the same thing and kind of, you know, bring focus and light on the craftsmanship that exists in the Middle East. Like amazing ateliers, for example, in Beirut, Lebanon, where you had people that left from the Armenian Turkish diaspora that came and they settled in Beirut. Amazing craftsmanship 
all working in an area that's that's like a super kind of ghetto area. But, you know, the, the things that these people could accomplish was just mind blowing. So my aim was to create a super luxurious handbag that was very well thought out. And then I went to Beirut. I started seeing all these various craftsmen. And I started also there, like I found a person that was a jeweler as well as a handbag maker. So then we started working all these really interesting details and using brass and using bronze and even like diamond dust on some pieces. And for me, I started my brand at that time with $5,000. And I did that specifically and I grew that organically with the $5,000. I remember I made 13 bags. That was my initial production. I sold those 13 bags. And then with the money of that, I made 20 bags. And uh, that was really exciting because it, it started catching on. And now you have this flourishing local movement in Dubai. Uh, 2014, you had Dubai Design District opening up. So for me, that was really exciting. And I feel like that's one of my greatest sense of accomplishments because I think a local movement is very, very important. And for people to value what's made locally, by their own people, by craftsmanship that's around the corner is is extremely important. Mm, I think that's so, so interesting. And it's like, I wonder if some of it comes from a kind of like Western or Eurocentrism as the standard. And I guess you're right, though, even in terms of America, there's always that kind of notion that imported or like European cars and all of those kinds of like myths that we tell ourselves about what is better and what is good and what what means you've kind of made it. But I'm also really interested to hear about how that kind of initial and gradual start helps you to transition into setting up Marici the way that you did. Marici is an evolution of my former brand. And it's very much because my focus now is all about upcycling and something called circular design economy, which basically means to upcycle what's existing and giving it a new value and focusing a little bit more on natural products, ensure that we don't have waste. Because I think people get a bit confused on what is sustainability. They get really caught up on materials, for example, or sometimes I think even animal products and sustainability gets very confused because animal welfare and environmental welfare are very separated, for example. So I think um, with me, what's very important is this, this upcycling waste. That's because the biggest problem that the planet Earth has right now is that we have so much waste and we, we don't know what to do with this waste. And this is what's creating the main issue. And I say, you know, I've had this 10 years of this other brand we have some styles that we know have worked for eight years. We have data. These are best-selling designs. And I own these patterns. It's my intellectual property. So what I'm doing is that I'm upcycling my old patterns and bringing them into this new brand. Having a, you know, a mindset that's been sustainable, that's been circular. And now it's like we've also involved this material. And so, as we said, like getting into it all, I guess to start with, I was just really curious about the name Marici and where it comes from. So basically, Marici is a Sanskrit word and the meaning of Marici is ray of light. 
So that's a direct translation of Marici, and it's a it's a it's it's a sun goddess. It's about that light that happens in, at dawn, and it's it's also about hope. Hope is really the most important thing in anyone's life. And I'd like to say, you know, I want people to be, you know, be a Marici, like be a ray of light, be a ray of light in other people's lives. And then my friend was like, oh, this is a really cool name, Pucci, Gucci, Marici. I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, this sounds good, you know, so it's got, yeah. It's got the luxness to it too. Yeah. <laughs> And speaking about your ray of light, I guess, in all of this, which is obviously this material that you discovered that is really promising and exciting development for sustainability within, I think, the fashion industry. How did you discover Pinatex as a material and what kind of drew you to it? Well, so my father is a chemical engineer. So he was at the Danish Sustainability Summit and he was very curious because creating materials is actually done by various chemists, uh, essentially. And so he told me about it. He's like, oh, you know, you should, you should look into this and this, this is the future. And I was like, okay. So I just like, you know, went onto the link that he'd sent me. And I was fascinated. First of all, I was fascinated by the story because I love resilience. And Dr. Carmen Hijosa, who is the founder of Pinatex, she spent 12 years researching this material and developing it. And I, that really spoke to me. And, you know, her story was that, you know, People now have a problem with with traditional leather because it's, you know, it's using animals. But at the same time, she's like she recognized that that this other alternative that has been dubbed as vegan leather since 2000 is, in fact, not the answer. Because when somebody says vegan leather, because the word vegan today has a positive association, they're like, oh, vegan leather. So this must be good. Let me buy it, you know, animal cruelty free. But little do they know that, in fact, the so-called vegan leather is the worst possible thing for the environment because it's all made of plastic. It comes from fossil fuel and it's continuously releasing microplastics. And by 2050, there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish. It's toxic. It's not a natural element that already exists on earth. It's man-made, it's made in labs. For me, you cannot solve a problem with another problem. So when Dr. Carmen, you know, came up with this material, I was like, great. They're basically taking pineapple plants from existing industries. So the pineapple plant gives one pineapple. And when that pineapple is harvested, the plants would be burned. So that's, again, the waste of like, oh, what, what do the farmers do with this mm. waste? They were, they were burning it. So that burning was obviously very bad for the environment as well. So Dr. Carmen Hijosa came up with the way of taking what would have otherwise been discarded waste and through this technology, using this as the base of the material of creating a new alternative material as opposed to using, you know, 100% uh, plastic base. So along with this, they purchase this material from the farmers. So they're getting an additional income. 
from our side, every time we purchase a meter Pinatex, we're saving eight kilos of carbon dioxide to be burned into the mm. atmosphere. Because instead of burning that material, now they're selling it off. So there's all this different, you know, so, I mean, from Pinatex side, they call it uh, low impact, high social responsibility. And I like that. And from the other aspect, I'm in fashion. I love aesthetics and I love things that look good. And until that point, I was like, okay, you know, I don't, I don't like the feel of this or look of this other synthetic materials. And when I saw Pinatex, especially the, the metallic parts, the gold and the silver and the finishing, I was like, wow, this looks so good. Like it looks rich. So, and it looks luxe and I'm drawn to it. I'm not drawn to it because of, oh, it's plant-based material. I'm just drawn to it from an aesthetic point of view, full stop. And I was very happy about that. So then my aim was to, I want to combine this material, regenerative materials, uh, together with luxurious craftsmanship and create this, this product. That's so, so interesting. What was your process like once you came across mm. this material and you kind of learned about how it was created? What was the development process like of you deciding, you know, what you wanted to do with it and how you wanted to move move forward? I went through a process of, you know, ordering some material to try it out. And I came to my factory, started trying this material with our existing styles and recreating it to see how, how does it look, how does it bend. And, you know, I started carrying it. I started asking for people's reaction. I'm like, oh, do you know this, this, this is made from plants? And people are like, what? This is so exciting. And, and so we started this type of process, like just to see. And, and that went on for a year. After that, I moved to London. The invention of Pinatex, it's a British invention. I mean, the origin of the lady is Spanish, but she did her PhD here. Their company is based here. So for me, it's British. So that's also, I moved here. So now I, I again feel, okay, I'm again a part of a local movement. So I came back here and I started trying to find factories in London because then I was also, oh, I want to work with a local factory. And I tried for a while to, to find a factory here to work with. And I wasn't very successful, unfortunately, because not many factories exist here today. Most of them had to close down, which is very unfortunate. So then, you know, I went to Italy. We, we found a great factory there. Our factory also works with creating Bottega Veneta handbags. So, so I, I, you know, I like that because I, I love craft. Good company. But at the same time, we decided to stay away from any industrialized processes. So we only work with master artisans and all of our handbags are from A to Z created by hand, which is very, very unusual, even in the, you know, top high-end designer brands and every single material that's gone into this product is very expensive because it's been mindfully created it has all these certificates like Pina Texas B Corp certificate our interior is made from something called pea silk which is the only silk that allows a moth to turn into a butterfly we're the only brand to be using this as an interior our metal hardware is all made from brass Every single component in our creations 
is thought in a way that at the end life of this product, we can take it back and we can upcycle it and reuse it. That's amazing. And I guess I wanted to ask a bit more about the reception or the kind of journey to almost, I guess, convincing people or being able to get people's buy-in with this material that still isn't widely known and is still quite new to the industry. What was that kind of process like of communicating and, and getting people to buy into this new future? We have a boutique on Draycott Avenue and I personally work there uh, as a sales associate. So, I, I, you know, I don't, I obviously don't say that I'm the founder of this brand because I just want to have a very mm. honest interaction with, with, with people. So that's very interesting to yeah. see their reaction. And it's really interesting psychologically, you know, for me, some people, they get like, oh, wow, that's so amazing. And they buy into it. We have a lot of people that they come into the store just drawn by the aesthetics of it because we have like, you know, mm. gold and silver. And then when we start telling them that this is this material, a lot of the times they kind of step out because now it's like they've been introduced to something super new. It's not settled in for them. So whilst they're very fine with buying you know, synthetic materials, they're kind of, they almost take a step back. Like, oh, what do you mean? It's made from pineapple plants. And it is an issue because there is not that as much awareness as, you know, I would like there to be. It's a process, isn't it? It's like, for some people, I think the story is enough. It's an added layer, but for others, it takes time to normalize these things and to kind of like assuage all the doubts and the questions. And even though you might if I asked the average person on the street how pleather was made, they would never be able to answer it. But at the same time, they want to know, like, because there's this, this is something that's new and, like, unknown to them, they feel this kind of nervousness around buying into it. But, yeah, it's so it's such an interesting process. I guess looking at the future of Pinatex, mm. what would you say are some of the possibilities for it as a material going forward? I think, you know, it can be used... In for anything and everything, you know, whether it's for a car, whether it's for a jacket. And I think it's, it's you know, they've just developed it. I think this invention is from 2015, but then it started becoming commercialized more in 2018. And so it's very new, but I do think it's the future. And like everything else is just the beginning. And I think they're going to become better and better. I know they're working very hard on kind of making it as close to leather as possible, making it as durable as possible. And so I I honestly think their future is is endless. But I think moving forward, I think a lot of more brands are kind of jumping on board. And I think the more brands that will be using this material, I think the more settled in it will become. And so it won't be like, oh, my brand is special because I'm using this material. It, it will almost become like, oh, so many people are using this material and, and it gets down to design. It gets down to craftsmanship. So this is this is kind of where we are now, where we have to bring more awareness to the plant-based materials. But I think most importantly, to also bring awareness to a lot of people that do want to be sustainable and to ask them, you know, are you happy with buying synthetic material when you actually want to be sustainable? Because that's not sustainable. So that's why with Pinatex, it's exciting to me because it is a byproduct. It's it's a waste. And, and this is 
the future now they're doing leather out of bananas, for example. Some people are doing leather out of apples, people like leather out of mushrooms. In Sweden, uh, someone's now come up with, because they eat a lot of potatoes there, and how we have these plastic single-use cutlery. So someone's coming up with how to do single-use cutlery with potato skin. You know, so it's all about that whole thing of, uh, what can we use that's natural and, and how can we upcycle that? And I think today, if people truly want to make a sustainable decision, I think, you know, or, or in a terms of buying a vegan bag, then I think, you know, buying something that's made from Pinatex is the best possible decision they can make. That was amazing. Thank you so much for speaking to us about this. No, thank you for being a part of bringing... Uh, awareness to the plant-based movement. This Super Futures podcast series is part of Selfridges' exploration into possible futures, where we'll be trying on new lifestyles and ideas with our brands, future generations, and of course, you. Tune in each week as we speak to people who are tackling some of our greatest challenges in the most imaginative and innovative ways to make the world a better place for everyone. Head to selfridges.com for more enriching stories as we imagine what the future could be. This is a Radio Wolfgang production and featured Amanda Navayan. The producers were Cass Denton and Ivor Manley. The executive producer was Ellie DiMartino. Martino.